Welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. Conversations with business expert authors to learn about the author, their expertise, and to help you find your next read. And now, here's your host, best-selling author and CEO of Influence Network Media, Jody Brandsetter. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. I'm excited to hear about your book, but before that, can you tell us a little bit about you and your expertise? Sure. Thanks for having me, Jody. I am a uh, serial entrepreneur, CEO, but I spend a lot of my time being a keynote speaker, a consultant, and I've written a couple books. And I just really enjoy helping organizations reach their goals, helping employees actually love work and, you know, helping managers not be so terrible. I enjoy the not having terrible managers. I had another author on which her book was Bringing Up the Boss, all about hopefully making managers not be horrible. So I love that. So you have a couple books. What was the motivation on becoming an author? Well, I'll tell you, like most things in my life, I have gotten lucky and I've stumbled upon opportunities. And when someone asks me to do something, when an opportunity arises, I either say yes or I find a way to make it happen. If I was asked to do a podcast years ago and I went, podcast? I'm not a podcaster. Okay, I'll do it. Let's figure it out. And we did that for a few years and then knock, knock. A publisher came knocking on my door and said, we would like to talk to you about writing a book. And they sent me a note on LinkedIn. And I, I don't know if anyone else has gotten those re- uh, requests on LinkedIn. We're like, we can help you be a published, you know, be a published author. And they want you to spend $10,000 or $50,000. And I thought this was another one of those people selling their wares and, you know, to help you self-publish for your life savings. And I kind of ignored them. This is the only time in my life I was, I played hot girl. I played hot, to, hard to get. And unintentionally, you know, and I suddenly realized when they sent me the third message, like, are you not interested in talking to us about writing a, oh, they're real. This is a real play. This is a real publisher. Okay. So I decided to write the book, even though as my wife and all of my teachers will tell you, I'm writing is not my first thing. It's not my first love. Uh, Speaking would certainly be much higher on the list. I, but I said, yes, sure. Why not? Let's try it. What's the worst thing I can do? I mean, if they hate it, they won't publish it. And uh, so I wrote the book and I hated every minute of it, but I loved everything that happened afterwards. And I learned so many lessons that when they came back and asked me to write a second book, I loved writing the second book. It was so much better. It was a really fun experience. I got a co-author for that one. And the process was much, you know, it was a few months to write the book versus six months of like the worst six months of my life. I love hearing that because I had kind of the same love-hate relationship when I wrote my book. And I also felt like I was not someone who should be writing a book. And my English professor would probably give 10-page dissertation on why Mm. I was not the person who should (laughs) write a book. But it is nice when someone has that confidence in you. So they listen to your podcast and they thought, Chris has something to say. We want him to do it. So tell me a little bit about your most recent book, Remote Work. If you could put it together as far as like a one or two sentence summary, what is it about? Our book is about how organizations can implement remote work in a fun and very innovative way. This is not just sending people home. This is how do you actually do it? And there are case studies of lots of different organizations and we really talk about why it's good for leaders, why it's good for the company, why it's good for employees and how to actually do it. So it's just, it's, chock full of tactical uh, things that you can use. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about that then. So what are some of the tactical ways that a company can provide this remote work opportunity in a way that is fun, but also, you know, benefits the business? So you have to kind of reimagine or rewire yourself for remote work. We, we come to the office and we think we are going to have work friends and everyone's going to be there at the same time. We're all on the same shift or whatever it may be. And that's not how typical remote work is. Now, there are some people in my organization even that have to be there during certain times. And there's other people it doesn't really matter when they work. As long as they work a certain amount of hours per day, they can work at three o'clock in the morning if that's what's good for them. So figuring out who can be flexible, who can't be that flexible. You have to kind of figure all that out and reimagine that for, for different employees. The more flexibility you can give people, the more autonomy you can give people, the better off it is. And what I have found is that what I focus on grows. And I'll say that again, because it's super important for people. What I focus on grows. And that's another way to say, you know, there's manifestations, there's all these other things that people will say. But if I focus on what are my best employees doing, if I focus on where are we being successful, if I focus on what my best clients look like and how do I get more of those, I'm not dealing with problems. And half of all of pro the problems that leaders deal with are people problems. And so when you send them home, it's amazing how many people problems go away. We're not arguing about the thermostat or John microwaving leftover salmon in the microwave. We're not dealing with who so took someone's parking spot. Like all of the like things about bad human behavior disappeared when we sent everybody home. When we sent everybody home, suddenly everyone had deep time to work, to think, to strategize. I was getting my work done by lunch every day. The same amount of work I used to get done in a full, full day plus at the office because I wasn't having these conversations with people. I wasn't chit chatting all day. I was had to be highly focused. So remote work is really retooling and rethinking how we want to, to exist and how we want to collaborate with each other. And it's both highly flexible and you have to be patient at times. And it's also this ability to like go super fast and, and be very intense at times. So that's my experience for remote work. And I'll tell you in the book, Kim's Experience with remote work is in, in other areas very different. And a lot of the case studies we brought in for people, they were very different. So there's not, it's not like you're going to read my book and I'm going to tell you the 900 things you have to do exactly. I'm going to, I'm sort of larger concepts of what you need to figure out, what you need to do. I really like how you talked about the flexibility in a way that understanding, okay, this job requires X, Y, and Z, but this job can be A, B, and C and not putting everyone in the same box. Now, something I have noticed with some of my clients is that they have, you know, since the pandemic allowed some of their, their team members to actually go, you know, home and do the remote work, but they still have those individuals that are required to be on site. So like manufacturing. And so a lot of them are struggling with their culture. They're struggling with how to work with these two groups of people required to be on site flexibility all over the place. And there's this animosity sometimes between the groups. Any tips for those type of companies that, you know, can maybe help them with ensuring the remote people get what they need, but it also works well for maybe their team members who have to be on site. Yeah. I mean, so we have to just be upfront and honest and try to really deal with this heads on. There have been some really great examples of like Volkswagen and some other companies that have really thought through these strategies and say, well, obviously remote employees are getting these benefits. 
Can we provide some other benefits to our employees that do have to be in in the warehouse or in the manufacturing facility, right? And how do we, it's not the same benefits, but can we reward them in some other way to show them we value them? The remote people get to not sit in traffic for two hours a day. What do we, how do we show the warehouse people we appreciate them, right? Or is that by giving them more vacation days, more flex days? Is that to allow maybe some of them could work remote once a month? Like, you know, what does that look like? And and so you have to really think through, this is what's hard, is we would prefer if you could just call someone and say, tell me what to do. And I could say, sure, do these three things and you're done. It doesn't work like that. You have to figure out what's what's gonna work uniquely for your company. But avoiding it and pretending it doesn't it doesn't exist is what is pretty much the strategy happening right now. I, you know, and it's important that maybe your some your people who are working remote do need to come in every once in a while and have some contact with those people in the facility, right? Um, we do need to figure out really particular ways in which we meet. So maybe the warehouse people are constantly getting asked to leave their job to go sit in front of a computer to work and that's really distracting. So can we say, well, those meetings can only be booked with them during these certain times and these certain days. So they have long blocks of time to get their work done. You know, how do we, how do we design that to help people be successful? So that's those are some of the strategies that we're working on and and that people have implemented but it's going to be different right how the office person at a school their responsibilities is different than what the teacher's responsibilities are which is different than the principals which is different than the custodian which is different than the superintendent and yet no one's complaining about that right i mean my wife's a teacher she has to hold it for like five to six hours sometimes. You can't even go to the bathroom. She doesn't like it, but I don't hear her complain that the principal can go to the bathroom anytime she wants to go. Like There are differences in the job and you know what the differences are and you have to figure it out. You have to look at the human, the person, the role. You can't just put it into, you know, kind of my life in corporate was very black and white. Everyone got X, everyone got Y. And now I think companies have to start looking at their employees as individuals and looking at maybe groups of what works best for them. So I love like thinking about what benefits can you give to people on site versus the virtual. And these are things that I think companies really have to start focusing on if they really want to continue to be successful. I want to go back to when we were talking about when you decided to become an author and you said the first time that six months was was not fun. And then the second time it was better. What were you able to do to make that second book a better experience? Or what did you learn from that first book <laughs> that helped you with your second book? So with the first book, I thought, well, I'll just come up with the general uh, themes and the general chapters, and then I'll go write it. And for the first book, I was so worried that if I said something, if I gave an opinion, I better had have it backed up. I had better have 19 case studies to somehow show that that wasn't true. Like I can kind of backed up, I realized later on, like no one cared. No one looked at my studies, no one. And, and so as long as I feel like if I was saying things that I believed relatively confidently to be true, I didn't need to like research. So I would start writing and I'd be researching. I didn't really understand the process. So like the editor would send back these incredible notes but it was basically me rewriting. I hadn't I hadn't planned to rewrite entire chapters multiple times. I had was like, I'll write it. They'll send me a few notes, I'll fix it. But no, these were like giant rewrites. So what I did with my co-author, and this, it's actually a funny story. We, we did sort of like a scrum, an agile approach. Where we had all these little 
post-it notes and we would write out the big themes and then we write out the next themes and we just kept going down and down and down. And then we start talking about what are all the best stories that we tell that we remember in our careers and we wrote down all the stories and they have tried to figure where would that story fit into explaining these things and we were going through this process for about a month and she kept telling me chris you know i think this weekend i'm going to give it a shot and try to write the you know the second chapter or the third chapter and i go no nope you're not she's like what do you mean i'm not i mean she's and this woman has been my mentor like i don't tell her no and i'm telling her no you are absolutely not writing yet we are not ready and it wasn't until about two months in that I finally said we can write. And she went, okay. And then when we started, it was like, it was the easiest thing in the world because we had all our thoughts already planned out. We had all of our stories already planned out. All we had to do was move those post-it notes, literally pick up post-it notes and move them onto the wall and place them where they need to be and then stand back and look at it and say, does this make sense, right? Is there, does the flow make sense? If someone reading this, do they, are they getting enough stories? They feel like they're it's not us like being too technical. Is there too much of Chris or too much of Kim in a particular chapter? Like how do we balance that? How do we figure out our voice? I mean, all that stuff. So we did it, did it all before we ever wrote a word. And that was so helpful for me because the first time I was all alone, and I was trying to just write as I went and it was stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. And I don't know if you, I know you're a, a high achieving type A. I'm a, you know, in school, B minus was fine. And I'm definitely gonna procrastinate till the very end, unless I really was fascinated. Like it's funny, my major courses I had straight A's and all my other courses I barely passed because I did, couldn't stand them, but I'm a procrastinator. So if I didn't like it, I would just not do it. And I would wait until like, you know, the night before this chapter was due and then suddenly trying to write it. And of course it was not my best work because I don't know if anyone else has had this like writer's block, but I used to go and get on the Amtrak train in, and I would go from Orange County to LA down to San Diego and back up to Orange County. And I was locked on the train basically, except when you had to get off to turn around, I had nowhere to go and no one could bug me. I could, no one could say, Hey Chris, can you come help me move? Or can you take me to the airport? I'm on a train, right? That was the only way I could, could write. But with the second book, I never had that problem. I could, you had thought about it so completely that when it was time to write, it was just, it was so easy. I had the same philosophy with mine. I did like major brainstorming on the, mine has two topics. So I brainstormed on both of them. Then I was able to then combine the two, then did the very similar process that, that you and Kim did. And I found that to be amazing because like you said, I had everything ready. I had my research done. I had my stories ready so that when I got to that chapter, it wasn't like me staring at a blank screen going, shit, what am I supposed to do? Do now I already had it built out I just had to elaborate and it was it was mind-blowing to me because I'm a I'm a type I crazy procrastinator and I get the um I love the energy of having a, a deadline on my back and with writing I didn't do that at all and it was probably the first time I've ever not done that and it was it felt amazing and I love that and I think a lot of people if you can do that type of process. It really does help the whole journey. Really good insight there. So Chris, this has been great. How can the audience connect with you and where can they buy your books? So you can find me at chrisdyer.com. That's D-Y-E-R. You can find Chris Dyer, type in remote 
work, Chris Dyer, or The Power of Company Culture on Amazon. You can find the books there or Bull or wherever you buy your books around the world. Oh, and on LinkedIn, if you want to connect with me there, um, we always do a lot of free events and content. So feel, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know how you, how you found me. Great. I will add all that to the podcast notes. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of the Booksmarts Business Podcast. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for listening to the Booksmarts Business Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show and share this episode with a friend. In the meantime, join our business author community where you can connect with other business authors and learn about becoming an author at authors.influencenetworkmedia.com. Until next time.